listening to Around Comics. Chicago. This is Around Comics, the comic culture podcast where we talk about everything in and around the world of comics and comics culture. I'm Christopher Neesman, your host, and I am joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. Brian Salazar. Hey, what's going on there, Chris? Hey. How are you, sir? I can't hear you. Speak into your microphone. Hey, okay, God, I don't got to turn it up, I guess. I don't know. Uh, How's that? Uh, Can you hear me now? Better. Better. You're bassy. Lord. Got a lot of bass. Well, that's just natural. That's just that's natural. Just genetics. <laughs> Your voice sounds like a rock slide. It's very, very earthy. Mm-hmm. He can do voiceover work. Yeah. He needs like disaster, but only disaster films. Okay. Only. In a time. In a world where a world. you're afraid of someone coughing on you. Wear a mask. And, uh, this and we have a guest. We have guests this week. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's a re- returning guest from um, probably what ten years ago, or something like that. Probably close to that. I was going to guess twenty, twenty, twenty-five. <laughs> Season <laughs> comics veteran. Uh, he is uh, be- best known maybe for uh, for God hates astronauts. Uh, I happen to be a big blast furnace fan, and of course uh, his. Uh, uh, co-creator uh, owned book which we're going to be talking a lot about this evening uh, curse words mr brian brown hi thanks uh thanks for inviting me again after eight years of me waiting to come back and correct all the mistakes i made on that first episode if only i could remember what they were uh, that was that was the that was the episode that launched your career. You took off like a rocket after that. It man. was it was that was uh, that was my coming out party. Mm-hmm. You know, I was young and inexperienced, and you really showed me the ropes. And uh, that's that's when America learned to laugh again. It is, it is, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're thrilled to uh, thrilled to have you back. Uh, you have a uh, a new Kickstarter. That you are you are the undisputed king of the Kickstarter, which uh, we talked about a little bit earlier. You have other creators that call you up and say, "Ryan, how can I make a a successful Kickstarter?" And you have now how many successfully um, funded Kickstarters to uh, to your this credit? Is, this is number six. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the king. I would say that I am. I've done it enough to know all the places you can screw up. Okay, and so and I've done a lot of them over the years, so uh, I'm really good at advice for how to not screw up. I am severely out of date with how people find things on the internet now, so <laughs> there are definitely people that uh, uh, are much better at that aspect of the Kickstarter. But in terms of logistics, you want logistics? I got logistics. That's the guy. I got. Okay, you know how to you know how to ship things. 
that's right. That's right. I know how to constantly remember that you lose 10% to Kickstarter, which is just constantly <laughs> have to remember that. You That's such an easy one to screw up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, uh, you can tell us a little bit about curse words. Um, maybe starting with like who the uh, who the the primary character is. Yeah, um, I you know I was gonna Charles is clearly uh, running late. Let me uh, let me see if he's around. Um, he's always late. He's always late. This is why I'm in charge of figuring writers, out the ten ten percent logistics. I'm the one in the group that remembers the 10%. Uh, but Curse Words is a book that Charles and I did for three and a half years for Image Comics. And it's like a humor, gonzo, fantasy, kind of weirdo book about a wizard named Wizard um, and his talking koala familiar Margaret, uh, who's like a little bit of his moral compass and a little bit of his guide to our world. Uh, because he comes from an evil world and he was... He came to our world to destroy it. And when he got here, he realized he could actually live pretty comfortably by pretending to be good. So he basically just pretends to be a good wizard, even though he's an evil wizard. And uh, all of his evil wizard buddies don't really appreciate that. So they, they come to get him. And so it's about, it's kind of like a breaking good story. You know, bad guy pretending to be good and then actually having to be good to like protect the world he falls in love with. Yeah, uh, It's good. It's good. And it's a uh, um, it's a funny uh, fantasy epic story. Uh, I mean, you, uh, you don't see that uh, a ton of the the mixing of, of comedy and 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 fantasy. Um, it looks we like a, we've been joined by Wizard himself. Wizard is here. A kind of wizard. <laughs> Uh, can can uh, he not speak? I don't know. I, I guess <laughs> not. Well, the beard gets in the way. Wizard has had a a, a, a mute uh, spell cast upon him. Can he drink? That's the other question. He's drinking. Uh, He's definitely drinking. Wizard has got a straw. <laughs> the the people listening to the is... audio podcast version of this are completely lost at the moment. Oh yes, that's but, true. Uh, so so. So check out the the YouTube archive, please. We do. do a wizard has appeared. Mm. Hello, a wizard. wizard. A, a wizard who needs food badly or drink badly. And wizard doesn't have a microphone, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have microphones in the. Nice. Oh wow! Look at. Okay. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. There we go. I think we've uh, we've we finished off the look. So you guys may or may <laughs> may not remember that. Uh, in, 2016, in 2016, I did a I did a van tour across the country with this man, and it was during the summer, and we would wear these wizard costumes, Woo! and real hot. That was a hot wizard costume. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was oh my god, it's not wizard, it's Charles Soleil. Hey, got Soleil. Soleil, <laughs> wow. I love it. It's perfect. It's soul. I love it. Drop the E off of it. I called him Brownie for at least five years. This is the exact reason that our our joint (laughs) company is called Silent E Productions LLC to avoid this very problem. I think Charles will only be content in life once everyone knows how to pronounce his name. 
So and I'm so... going to fight against that at all times. Yeah, it's, he calls himself Charles Sowley. <laughs> I frequently will tell people. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a know, tough one. So for those who are listening at uh, at home, I, I, I came on wearing a full-on like wizard beard and, and hair and hat and robe, which I still have. It's too hot to wear, but I am. And the thing that I immediately remember about wearing this, Ryan, is how like the thing is made out of fiberglass or something, and it just sort of <laughs> destroys your face. I just want to like ugh, feel like I've been stung by a thousand bees. Yeah, I'm sorry. Fiberglass bees. Fiberglass. Uh, uh, yeah. They're like super hornets, but make boats out of them. We we so we did this van tour and we we toured all around the country and the, we got a, a a panel van that uh, I designed uh, a vinyl wrap so that it had like a big curse words wizard van and uh, we drove around the hottest parts of the country during the middle of the summer and had multiple stops in Texas, New Orleans, like uh, Atlanta and uh, and we would park. Uh, you know, a mile away from the store, get our wizard costumes on, and then we go and we drive around the parking lot honking our horn and blasting music out the window, wizard music out the window. It was uh, the most rock star I've ever been. It was also itch, itchy and hot I've ever been. We, it was very interesting. We used, we used two songs as our theme songs uh, during the wizard tour. The first half of the tour, we used Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, which seemed very appropriate and cool. Uh, and then for the second half of the tour, we decided to choose something that was a little more at our actual speed, and we chose uh, "This Is How We Do It" by Montel Jordan, which which also worked really well. <laughs> so because it let was me ask how you we this. do it. It literally, this is how <laughs> we do it. This and, is how we do it. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. you guys know each other well before the van, or just after the van? Uh, both. <laughs> We didn't want to know each other after that. No, it's go ahead, Ryan. This is all you. Well, I think it's really interesting. So we we knew each other decently, um, and we had been talking for years about working together. And then when we finally worked together, that's when we started talking every day on the phone. Um, but then when we did this yep. tour, I uh, I had all this music that I was gonna. I was like all these podcasts and music like saved up that we we're gonna listen to. And Charles and I didn't listen to anything. And we just sat in the van and talked the entire time. Yep, that's sometimes good. He, sometimes he would type and uh, put on headphones, and I would listen to the Tigers game that I had missed. <laughs> but that was about it. Uh, Very rock and roll. Um, you signed up for unlimited data on your phone so you could stream baseball games, um, which you would do like on the road while we're driving between, you know, like Oklahoma and Texas. You'd be just watching a game on your phone, and you were thrilled. It was a joy. <laughs> what an experience. Charles learned a lot about the Tigers that summer. No, 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 no. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. But that's that's part, that's why, uh, if you read in the curse words, uh, is actually a story about baseball and and the Tigers. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much to get into it spoiler-wise, but... Well, look, I, I, can, I can explain it in a very straightforward way. So, so Ryan is is a good pal of mine like a close we're super close and i know how much he loves baseball so i decided when we we're making a comic book together that i would put as much baseball stuff in as i could and give him a 
chance to draw the stuff he loved, you know, because you do good things for your friends, you do nice things for your friends. The problem was, I don't know very much about baseball. And so I would make mistakes. I would get things wrong in scripts. And Ryan would correct me and be like, well, you know, the, the offside rule, is that a thing? I don't know, whatever. The, the designated pitcher, things like that. Um, and he would be like, well, actually, Charles, like this. I'm like, well, yes, Ryan, but the problem is the story really requires it to be done this way. The story requires it. And so he, he would have to draw the wrong baseball thing um, over and over and over again. Uh, all these terrible baseball mistakes. Like, I remember there was like, a, I, had, I had people flip a coin at the beginning of a game. He's like, that's never happened. I'm like, well, they're, they're really the story, you know, the story, Ryan. We're telling mm-hmm. the story here. And so I, my, my noble gesture to give him baseball ended up just being endless torture and a lot of stadiums a lot of so you killed him slowly over the over the course of the series yeah it was mainly stadiums it was mainly stadiums no i still remember like you wanted to you wanted to have the first issue in a new in yankee stadium and i was like look we can't do that we can't use yankee stadium we can't use the yankees can't use yankee stadium and so then uh we i made them the northerners but then when I drew it, I like took Yankee Stadium, but kind of altered it a little bit. And then Charles changed the script to say it took place in Queens. So, yeah. so then people, multiple people have, have corrected us that the yeah. Yankees don't play in Queens. <laughs> they don't. The, the Mets play. In the Mets do. Yes. I know this. <laughs> well, it makes the, me look bad. The- and the coin flip and all the things like it was great because you could just coin flip. all these people do these baseball things that were wrong and ryan being a real baseball aficionado the only one in comics uh you know as i said i was doing a kindness for my friend mm-hmm. or were you we do- secretly trying to damage his reputation as a greatest baseball fan in comics is that the <laughs> ulterior motive well he is a tigers it? fan yeah. This is true. He deserves it. He's a Tigers fan. I uh, I I have a feeling that um, there were there were a not insignificant number of curse word readers who were like, "Whoa, I thought I heard Ryan Brown really loved baseball, but look at this. He doesn't uh-huh. love baseball." Yeah. And not, well, speaking uh, of the book and and, and, and back to the back to the Kickstarter, this uh, curse words has uh, been all released in trades. I know that because I have them. Um, if you purchased this in single issues or trades, uh, what's the draw to, to, to double dip and get the, the complete hardcover edition? I mean, well, you can't, you can't take it with you, man. Like, what are you saving your money for? <laughs> Good answer. A, okay. That's answer. not, that's not the message that we have on this Kickstarter. That's not what we're going with. Life is short. Oh my gosh, gosh. Charles is here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And and I believe in my heart, truthfully, that the curse words, the whole damn thing, omnibus, seven hundred and sixty-eight pages of of story, complete story collecting the 28 issues of curse words that Ryan Brown and I created together, labor, love, labor, joy. Um, I cannot think of a single better place to put your limited finances right now. I mean, the world's in the shitter. Um, you know, you need some joy, you need some magic and curse words is, has it on every single page. Am I right, Ryan Brown? I mean, 
That's all right. Are you still there, Rob? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Okay, cool. Tell them the link. I might believe you if you had the wizard costume on still. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think why it's worth a rebuy is uh, all my great design in the book. That's going to put it all together. Um, Do you have have some extras, some goodies in there that wasn't available? There are a lot of extras, um, including... That's where I was going with this, Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I was getting there. Charles was was, uh, deflecting, but we have an entire new issue within the book um, that's going to, like, work as an afterword to the story. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, which is really cool. You know, it's been... I finished that final issue in november late november and so it's been a while since charles and i've worked on something together and and like it's exciting to get to draw these characters again and um but like never i never like certainly don't want to pose it that if you bought all the issues you have to buy them all again so we do offer in the kickstarter uh, a single issue that's going to be all the new stuff so you don't have to double dip if you don't want to so what um, you just, do is that you buy the complete edition, which now has the 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 epilogue to it, the new story and other extras, and then you give your single issues or your trades to to a friend. And, right. Those are those are your loners. There you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, have we have we given them the URL for it? I mean, I I've got it right here. I can read it off. Oh my gosh. Go ahead. It's in the it's in the YouTube. Uh, information H- as well but H-T-S feel free colon forward slash forward slash www.kickstarter that's k-i-c-k-s-t-a-r-t-e-r dot com forward slash projects plural forward slash ryan brown that's ryan's name forward slash curse With dash words dash the dash whole h-o-l-e no w dash damned d-a-m-n-e-d dash thing dash seven six eight dash eg it's dash hardcover is this dash what I'm so so go there and pledge now leave it to a lawyer to dot every i and cross every t yeah or and, and if you'd like there's a link in the youtube video how can i get my 30 totally, seconds back totally type in what i just said character by character you i do think that i too. googled ryan brown kickstarter it came up with 85 different listings from all the kickstarters that you've done before but uh but that was the one at the top yeah man what, i'm a vet what else what i can do is i can over the course of the interview i can just read that out again a few more times so that people if people missed it the first time just let me know what are you drinking there charles uh, this is uh, apple cider. It's that's a, a, it's a, it's a dark I can tell you it's a Manhattan because Charles and I had many a hotel Manhattan uh, during our tour. Yes. Um, it is actually a variant called the Black Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So that's two ounces of High West Double Rye. Remember High West Distillery, Ryan? Mm-mm. When we went to Utah together, it was my birthday. So oh, uh, yeah. for my birthday, I invited Ryan to go to Utah with me and he, <laughs> he accepted, which was very thrilling. I, you know, you don't just ask anyone to go to Utah with you. And, and uh, Ryan was my pick and he came along 
And we went to a place I'd always wanted to go, which was the High West Distillery in Park City? Park okay. City? Uh, yeah, just above Salt Lake City. That's not what it's called. Anyway, that place where like uh, Sundance takes place and they had this distillery of this whiskey place there and we had some great drinks and a great dinner. And then we wandered around town and um, went to another bar where a crazy karate tournament was taking place. Remember that? On TV. Yes. Well, it was uh, on TV. <laughs> Charles is yeah. not telling you about the TV we watched together. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are you guys into that. close in this van tour, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, like me and my wife. And then we ate a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah, we so, ate some bad food. So, Charles, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you real quickly. I know that you are you're, you're Brooklyn uh, uh, resident now, but I did say I'm 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 talking to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I was born. Is where you were born. Um, did did were you born here and and then ended up in New York very soon after that, or did you did you grow up in Milwaukee? Uh, I did not grow up in Milwaukee. I grew up mostly in Michigan, actually. So I, I uh, which is another ca- connection between myself and Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we only lived in Milwaukee for maybe like the first year of my life, first couple of years. So we moved to Grand Rapids, and then we moved to Birmingham uh, in Detroit, and then we moved back to Grand Rapids, which is where I was until we moved overseas when I was in you, high school. You know how I knew that you didn't grow up in Wisconsin? How? Because if you had grown up in Wisconsin, you wouldn't be drinking a Manhattan with rye like a real person. It would have fucking brandy in it. <laughs> brandy in a Manhattan. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> because that's 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 what they drink here is brandy in everything. <laughs> well also seven up and uh, when you when you get a when you get a Wisconsin old fashioned they ask you if you want it like sweet or not sweet. What is it that they sweet, ask you? Sour uh, or press? Yeah, and then they just put a bu- they put a bunch of garbage in it. I I love a good I love a good uh, Wisconsin old fashioned. It is a separate drink. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's good. I I don't mind having one, but it's I'm a, a fan. I'm a, a fan of very a, a different sour. drink than an old fashioned. I like a, I like a sour old fashioned. So, my wife likes them sweet. So, yeah, yeah, but it's <laughs> it's behind the cheddar curtain, man. I need some of those sunglasses, man. Behind Ryan, the cheddar curtain, me up. Sure. I have all of Ryan's Chotskys. Here's my my God hates astronauts shot glass. Um, Charles, what you missed was this was, I think, my first ever podcast I went on. Very, very, oh. very, very long time ago. He begged us to come on. We <laughs> kept coming to the comic shop. To. Yeah. Was that um, that was right around your first issue of God Hates Astronauts? Was that who published the? I know. Did you self-publish the first issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think at that point I only had self-published issues of God Hates Astronauts. Yeah, and for some reason you thought that'd be a good guest on your podcast. Why well, loved it? <laughs> we loved you know what, it. That was that was legitimate. Just... We didn't we did we meet you at Challengers or did we meet you at a convention? And I don't and remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't but, man. Um, oh look at oh, the wow. oh my gosh! Oh, we have another. We have That's another. That's incredible! Guest. I didn't know you had that. 
Yeah, it's the cra- it's the crack cocaine. It's the it is the crack it's the, cocaine. It's, it's the Bogoyevich bitch yeah, page. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so, what I can I tell a story about Ryan Brown? Uh, absolutely. It's not a very good one, but it's it's about how we met. Yeah, um, do it. So please do. So there's a convention called Heroes Con, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and. Oh. Many, many years ago. Tom's here, uh, by the way. What? Huh? We'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Our, our third member of the podcast, Tom, just joined us. Oh. Tom's well, children I- let him out of his cage. Tom. This is Charles and Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Ah, Continue. Going well. Let me disrupt you. USA, all the way. That's great. Best place in the world. All right, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, I'll be right back. Uh, many years ago, um, before my comic career had really done anything, uh, I was doing Heroes Con, and a, um, a, a friend of mine at the time, B. Clay Moore, uh, said, you got it. You got to meet this guy. You got to meet this guy. Um, and that guy was Ryan Brown and he took me over to his table and said, you got to read this comic. It's really good. And so I read whatever weird little bit of God hates us you had at that time. And it was like, you know, one issue or two issues, whatever was available. And I was really, really struck by how unique the voice was and how good it was and just how funny it was. Like humor in comics is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, you did it. Um, <laughs> extraordinarily difficult to do. And I, um, like, I don't know. I just, I wanted, I wanted more. I was like, Ryan, Ryan's work is very specific and it's very, um, very unique. And, and uh, forgive me for saying this, my brother, but I don't know that it's for everybody. But if you, if it is for you, <laughs> if it is for you, it is the best thing you've ever read. And for Ryan, me, Ryan is the Dana Carvey show of comic book creators. Dude, that show is so good. I hadn't seen it until recently. Holy crap, it's so weird. Hopefully more successful. Yeah. Barely. Barely. Uh, so I I remember I remember Clay was a big uh a a big proponent of yours. Clay Clay was telling everyone about you. I remember that. Clay's a Clay's a very nice guy. Yep. Yep, he's a booster. So, mm-hmm. so I read the um, the issue and or issues, whatever material is available, and then I don't know what the next step was from that. I don't know if I emailed or whatever happened, but like we, um, I, I think I made it clear that I really liked, I liked it. Maybe even the next day, I said this was really good or something. And then um, over the years since then, we just you know we before we did Cursor, before we really worked together, every time we had a chance to have a convention, we basically did, and that um, we. <laughs> We got into the uh, the habit of of like riffing on, on dumb story ideas, like uh, 
horrible, horrible, horrible. Most of them were horrible, horrible and, and off color, not appropriate for this nice family podcast, but, um, <laughs> but it was really fun. And so what we learned was that our sense of humor was not identical, but, but we could make each other laugh. So like the things that Ryan would do versus the things that I would do, they, we could, we could innovate in ways that would uh, titillate, which was important, you know? Um, so I think from then, like we just, I think, I don't know that we always do, we would work together, but it always seemed like something that would be fun. Um, and the trick is just schedules aligning and, and making it work. And, and obviously Ryan can only do so many things at once. He's super fast, but, um, you know, committing to a comic is a big, big deal for an artist. And uh, so when we were finally able to, to do a book together, I think it was really exciting uh, for me anyway. And then getting to do as much as we did on Curse Words. And now, like, continue. I, I don't know. We've got, we've got this omnibus. We've got the next thing we're doing. Like, I feel like, I feel like we're good for the long haul. What do you think, Ryan? We started a company together. We were in a band together. <laughs> we sure were. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, this, I'm really excited to see this book, like, actually on the shelf, um, just in terms of, like, an incredible amount of output that we did together, is, I mean, I'm never going to do that again, I don't think, like, as much fun and great as it was, like, I mean, maybe I will, but the idea of thinking about planning out something as long format as we did, and then actually, like, keeping the book selling enough to like keep the book going to do the whole run um that was well, that was awesome i mean now we're gonna do something shorter but not anything like you know, less important just you know it's not gonna be 28 and then i guess 29 issues that's cool that you guys are, are gonna continue working with each other it's uh yeah. you know so obviously you you, you enjoyed doing doing curse words together um uh you know ryan that's i mean you're kind of you're kind of known for for working on comics that that have a, a, a comedic twist to it i mean you've done you've done other stuff it, not everything mm -hmm. is haha -ha funny uh charles it's uh i've read i've read a lot of your stuff um Great. not a whole lot of it being haha -ha funny um is that is that something that you that you enjoy and and is it easier whenever you have uh an artist like ryan that really you know that that's a that's obviously part of his repertoire um i love comedy and jokes and and writing those things and putting them in my work i you know i think there's a it's not particularly like in superhero comics comedy is very difficult to get across and most of the money you know, the, the sort of the career as a writer, you're, you know, if you want to get a foothold in comics, you, you, you generally, not always, but generally speaking, the path runs to Marvel and DC. And then once you get through that, you, you are able to do things that have a little bit more of a unique voice um, or, or maybe alongside it, you can do something that has a little more of a unique voice. Um, I love doing comedy. I also really love kind of like curse words was definitely planned and definitely had a lot of focus and, and scripting to it and detail work and planning, which I think comes across when you read the whole thing. It's clearly a story that has callbacks and plans and things that we did, but it's also very improvisational. Like it was a, it was a situation where, where Ryan and I were able to, if there's an idea that we liked that made us laugh, we would be able to, you know, build it up and bounce off and do other things and, and have characters become more significant. Like there's a, there's a, there's a character in the book named Jorko Garbloid uh, who is really just somebody that 
that we liked that made us laugh and and is is nonsense in many ways but we we uh, really like Rocco Garboy right Ryan yes Garboy. yeah he's um, great yeah and that's and and so when you're when you're in a creative relationship with somebody that you trust uh you you're like I don't think Ryan knew where I was going with a lot of the stuff I was going to do like I told him ideas whatever and I I would but he's just like Earl Charles would get it done and and likewise by the end I would just be like, okay, Ryan, this is what it should feel like. Do your thing. And then he will do it. And that's having that level of sort of creative trust is kind of kind of rare and, and especially when it like works as well as it seems to. So so that's what's definitely gonna carry us into the into the next thing. Um because it's hard to find I, I might be speaking for the two of us, Ryan, but I think it's hard to find something that works like this. And sure. so you don't like it's just fun. You wanna keep doing it. You know, like I, you know, have you guys have you guys ever tried to work Marvel style? Just out of curiosity. Um, well, the, the only the only real moment of curse words that um, that we did that way was in the final issue. There's a big fight, like the final conflict, and uh, we kind of realized as I was like thumbnailing it out, there wasn't enough room within a standard 22 page issue to have the like gravity of the fight that we wanted um and so charles and i talked about it and i basically just made some stuff up which then charles like and so we added a bunch of pages to that final issue so it was actually a little bit of an oversized issue and then charles went back in and wrote jokes on top of that based mm -hmm. on what i was doing so um but like every every issue that we've ever done charles writes the script i follow the script as best i can and i try and sneak in little <laughs> jokes and good yeah yeah i mean sometimes you know sometimes i accidentally i'm not reading close enough or something and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh and then i will uh charles will then do a rewrite like a lettering pass when he sees the art so you know the original script that he gave me i then kind of feed off of it and sometimes i will kind of elaborate or add to you know usually on the humor side not on the plot side but and then Charles will go over and like rewrite it to make the comedy really work and like add jokes on top of that. So um, it's so yeah, I, I just asked because kind of what Charles was describing is like, wow, this really feels like a Marvel method relationship. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, Char Charles's scripts are really tight, you know, they're really good scripts. Um, and <laughs> and they uh, they have, um, you know, but they, they usually leave me room to play a little bit, you know? So um, he's not one of those people that writes every single detail that needs to be in the background or something. Um, he writes in like more a more entertaining and expressive way. So for me, putting in details is kind of easy. Like, and then uh, I think it's what creates like the unique voice of curse words because curse words doesn't feel like anything I've done before. And it doesn't feel like anything Charles has done before. Um, yeah. So that 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 I think, you know, love it or hate it, there's nothing else like it. And I'm I'm really proud of that. And I think that that's because of our you know our 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 voices like really being flexible and playing off of each other um, is very important to to why we make good stuff. Yeah. When did you guys? Right. Uh decide that you wanted to collect the entire thing and, and do a kickstarter what was sort of the was that from the beginning a thought 
or did that something that developed um, as the series progressed? Can I can I take this one, Rand? Yeah, sure. So we always thought we would probably do an omnibus of some kind after the series was complete, and uh, we. We figured it would probably hit because you don't want to like, you know, torpedo your trades or anything like that. So we thought it would happen at least a year after the last issue was done. And, you know, the last trade for this came out, I think, in, you know, late 2019. So, so it's kind of early to do the omnibus. However, we, uh, you know, the, I don't know if you've heard about this pandemic thing that's been going around. Um, There's a bad bug out there. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but what that what that did is created a situation or, or, a, or a, a landscape where people weren't able to get comics, and they, you know, maybe would want entertainment or something interesting or something to feel good about, something to feel part of part of the comics community, support the comics community. And so, you know, we thought that this was a time. If there was ever time to put out a collection of curse words, this was a good time to do it. Uh, it would be good for us because, assuming it was successful, the you know part of the, the 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 back end goal of this is to help fund the next book that we're doing together. Because comics are expensive, and you know when we make a book, uh, we want to make sure that everybody's sort of getting. It's a job. It's an, like especially for Ryan, it's, it's a day in day out job that he has to do. And so you want to try and have have funds just like any company you're starting you want to have funds to, to fund the project and so you know by by supporting the course kickstarter you're supporting the next creative endeavor that we're going to do and we just we just felt it just felt like the right time like it's a lot of it is instinct a lot of it is ryan's extraordinary expertise in kickstarters in general um a lot of it was just we loved this book and wanted to put something out and wanted to wanted to feel like we were being creative in a time where it's hard to be creative and and the 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 production sort of, you know, the, the chain of production was, was, just, you know, cut off in the middle. Like, you know, the, you couldn't get, you couldn't get comics to stores. So it's, it's kind of all of those reasons. We just felt like it, it just felt like the right moment to do this. And, you know, I guess the sort of the, you know, I think we, I don't know where it is now, but, but I know we hit $95,000 tonight, like this evening. So. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's just unbelievable. Like the, the, you know, our funding goal was 25 grand. We're 70 grand above that and more. So it's, it's kind of hard to believe. Like we, we love and believe in this book. It's one of our favorite things. We drove around the whole country in a stupid band dressed as wizards because we believed in it. But now to see people embracing it this way and just being like interested in getting a cool story that they may or may not have heard of. And, and some people are obviously double dipping too. Like the, it really feels good. You know, like what, what we wanted was to give something back to comics in a way. And obviously, you know, make some money too but like we wanted to do something cool and the way people have embraced and gotten behind it and are are you know retweeting it and everything that they're doing just you know makes you feel really good in a time when it's there's not a lot of things to feel great about like this it makes me feel really good and i hope it makes ryan feel really good too nice well it sounds like it's already a success Thumbs up from Ryan. So <laughs> Ryan's like, where to go? <laughs> hey Ryan, I have a question for you. Um, we had Jim Rugg on recently, and he's doing an interesting Kickstarter book where he's using fluorescent inks. And mm -hmm. you know, your work has always had this super vibrant colors to it. That's I think one of the things about your work that really stands out. Um, 
Have you ever oh, thought about no. doing something like that? Something um, where y- you might uh, use a different style of ink or or something just you know out of the ordinary. I've always felt like your work almost straddled the line between indie books and mainstream books. And but mm-hmm. you know I, I could see you doing something sort of really weird and out out there like that. Yeah, um, I am blown away that Jim is trying to do this. I can't it sounds, wait to see it. It sounds very stressful. <laughs> yes. Um, I, have, I have the advantage um, that I actually worked as a graphic, design, graphic designer and um, like uh, illustrator for a company that also had its own print shop. And so I spent about three years at that company before breaking the comics. Like last time I was on this show, I was working at that company. Um, and that's is, that, is, that, is that where you worked with Lou Brock, which are yes. some of my favorite stories? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Lou Brock was one of our big clients. Um, but uh, so I learned, I learned a lot about printing and I learned uh, a lot about designing a project from the ground floor up which has helped me a ton in being a self-publisher. Uh, I don't know how, how the hell I would figure out how to do any of this stuff if I hadn't done it for a living for three years. Um, I also was on, uh, you know, had very intimate contact with massive screw-ups. None that were mine. But so I've seen what a massive screw-up and the amount of paper that needs to get pulped and the amount of upsetness that happens yeah. uh, when dealing with the printing. amount of cash Infinite. that gets pulled. Yeah. Uh, Infinite like, context, Intimate Yeah, because yeah, we had an office inside the building that had the entire print shop. And so uh, I had a, a, a pretty massive screw-up of one of uh, my coworkers, not me, that, uh, that cost many thousands of dollars. Um, so that said... Um, I'm kind of, I'm in this space where I have a printer that I've used many times. It's the same printer that prints IDW stuff. Um, so like I have as a pretty good groundwork, anything that IDW puts out, I can say, give me this, give me that, give me the, like that, the God is astronauts hardcover was give me the lock and key hardcover. I want the lock and key hardcover, do all that for this. And, um, and that, that fills me with a little bit of comfort in the idea of trying to do something like Jim's doing sounds real scary. <laughs> well, he, he's, and, and he talked about it and, and yeah, but um, it's, it's Chris Pitzer who is, is kind of his go-to print guy. I, Chris is, is a, just a wealth of printing knowledge. I mean, he's been, it's not his first rodeo. I think he's, yeah. he's probably seen a little bit of everything and uh, and so that's that's who I think Jim goes to for a lot of printing advice. Yeah, he's... yeah I, I I talked with Jim because I was helping him with his Kickstarter early on, and he was telling me about the help he was getting uh, to figure out how how to do that. Um, I mean, it sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds it's really great. Quite you know, but... I, I've yeah. always just wanted to do like a like a spot Pantone cover color on the cover. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. But you know, if I couldn't, if I couldn't get to the print shop and do a, you know, a, a, a press check and like know that it was going to actually work, I think the stress would, I don't know, 
eat you alive. <laughs> yeah, I love I love being ambitious with with types of projects and size of projects, but the actual getting them to people, um, it just you know uh, that was I had uh, when I did that blast furnace hardcover, or not the hardcover, the the whole collection, the big one. Uh, the the printer did a uh, yeah that one. Yep. Yeah, there was there was a bunch of them that were cut the wrong size. Um, they cut three sixteenths of an inch off the top of the book because they did the conversion wrong from uh-huh. you know stupid US to 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 good metric. And so I got all these books that were wrong, and it was such a terrifying moment <laughs> of my life. So um, that's yeah. it. Can I Charles, had you had fun with the well, spot varnishes. Oh yeah, yeah. That's fun stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. stuff that I've done before when I was yeah. working at that job. So yeah. that's that's cool. a little bit in my you know wheelhouse. Um, can I uh, can I say something mildly sentimental? Mm-hmm. You guys sure no. it's okay? Um, all right, I won't then. No big deal. <laughs> just kidding. Just please. Um. So so you know you just heard that story about Ryan like that the story that Ryan just told is very much what working with Ryan Brown is like. He is hyper detail oriented he's incredibly creative but he's also very much he's got a math brain about all like the details and all the stuff and he likes it there is there is right and there's wrong and uh in terms of in terms of the way the creative work is produced and uh so you know like and, and he and i've actually discussed this before like you know you you when you're working with people you know it's you know there's it's it's if you're a certain per- type of personality, and he and I both have this personality for better or for worse, you end up like going in and, you know, making it be the way that you feel like it should be after the fact. And um, so I think the fact that he and I can work together so well, uh, it, it feels really good because I know how particular he is about every creative thing that he does and puts out. And so, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of cool that, that we've been able to make it work so well for so long and are continuing to make it work. And like, there's a, there's a level of creative trust that's very hard to establish. But like, I know that if I ask Ryan to handle something creatively or even like logistically, it'll get done. And, and I, I believe the reverse is true. And that's a really special and unique thing within any creative endeavor. Um, and uh, it's just, it's just, it's just really nice. So there's my sentimental thing. So I guess, there you go. I, I blew it. Huh, Ryan? Did I blow it? Did I well, play, lay my card on the table? A, no. <laughs> That's good, Charles. I agree. Mm, that brings up a question. Like, what was the difference or, or was there a lot of anxiety with you guys uh, going from doing stuff for Marvel or DC or, or you know, major companies and doing your own things? And then, you know, the differences. I guess talk a little bit about the differences between working uh, – on an IP and then working for a company or work with a company like image and then doing a Kickstarter. Uh, are there varying levels of anxiety involved uh, and how do those differ? You know, I, I think I actually would be interested. To, I think we should both answer, both answer this. Do you want to go first Ryan or do you want, do you, maybe we take each level and talk about it and then we'll flip back and forth. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, which Charles, which do you think is, the most stress-inducing. Create around the middle one, the middle tier. Image, um, image, image stuff. Yeah, like like yeah. like an, a book that is that is completely your own, under your own name, under your own reputation, with no safety net whatsoever. You're funding it yourself. Um, 
you know, the upside is massive, but it's basically like you're, you're, you're starting a company. You're starting, it's like a, you know, you, you invented, you made an invention and you're trying to see if the public will embrace that invention. And it's all based on your reputation, your skill, your name, your ability to create an audience and, and hold an audience, all of those things, it's all you. And ideally, your creative partner, your Ryan Brown, your Ryan Brown, as they say. Um, and, and it's really like, that's where, where it is. Whereas with the Kickstarter, you know, like it's, I would say that's the second level. You know, it's hard, but like nobody, unless they're really stupid, nobody launches a Kickstarter unless they're pretty sure they're going to fund. Um, like I'm sure there's plenty of stupid people out there who do, but like at, at, at my level, at your level, yeah. you know, we're not going to do a Kickstarter unless we're sure it's going to fund fast. And so, you know, it's work, but it's all fun. Like this has been just a joyous experience for me. Like, yeah, there's logistics. There's a lot to do, but it's all stuff I really like. Um, and then the IP stuff, the like the license, Darth Vader, Derek, whatever it is, like that is more like, you know, I, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of 75 years of publishing or 40 years or whatever it is. Um, and, and I like, that's a job I know how to do. And if I do, if I write a bad Darth Vader story, which I would never do, but if I did do it, <laughs> it wouldn't be the end of my career. Right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have the personal cost to me that like messing up. a Like if I screw up an image book, I personally feel like I have failed in a way that I do not feel if I write a Wolverine story that is not embraced because you know, it's just different. Right. But like an image book is me. It's well, sorry, Ryan, it's, it's us. It's, it's, it's us. Um, and a Kickstarter is more like, you know, you, you're selling something that you, you just, again, I'm never going to do, I'm never going to take a risk on a Kickstarter. Kickstarter is going to be something that I know is going to work. Um, the image books, the creator own stuff, the, the stuff that, you know, my novels are another good example, right? Like, you know, when I put those things out, they're me, they're my, they're very, very personal. And if they don't work, it's a, it's a referendum on me. But if a Wolverine story doesn't work, it's like, you know, there's lots of other ones out there. I'll write something else down the road. So what about you, Ryan? How do you feel about it? Um, I think Kickstarter is easily number one with a bullet for highest yeah. stress, easily. Um, doing a book through image has a whole lot of risk um, because of how much you have to work on it before you actually find out if it's a success or not. Um, you know, they want three issues in the can before they solicit. And so then they solicit and the book doesn't come out for another two months. So by the time you figure out if people are actually going to like it, you're probably working on issue five or six. Um, which is a really strange way to go. And it's, you spend the whole time working on it. Um, you know, I like Christmas, I knew it was going to be a hit, but it's like, how, what, what level of hit? Mm -hmm. um, because I knew what we were doing was good. Um, but you spend a lot of time with a book, like with, with the first issue of Curse Words, it's like, telling a joke and then I don't hear if the audience laughs until five months have passed oh, you know and it's it. like that's such a strange thing because then you have to do so many other things before you find out if the initial thing worked um which I think is really strange and when you're doing a monthly book people can jump off at any point um versus when I'm doing a kickstarter um I make the book I figure out all the math I do you know, launch it and hope it goes well, hope people come out, hope people continue to come out and support it. 
over the run. And then like where we're sitting now on this curse words book was I've done a lot of calculating and a lot of math. And there are a lot of places where I could be wrong. And so, and I've been wrong many times doing this and it's always been in ways that it's okay, you know? Um, so for me, like having all the success and having all, um, you know, having all these people come out and support the book is like amazing, but like emotionally it gets really strange because this is the most direct, like positive, I'm doing something people like and people want this and this is awesome. But at the same time, I can't really like find a way to not be worried about it until I know that by the time the book is done and I get the book, the book is printed right. Uh, it weighs what they say it's going to weigh, which is a huge <laughs> terrifying thing. And so far this printer has not screwed with me at all. They've always been right. So, but if that book is half a pound more then all of the math is wrong. So, yeah. you know, there's that, there's the fact that, um, there's going to be a freight truck with possibly four tons of books, literally four tons of books that are going to put it in my garage. That's terrifying. Uh, and then, uh, you know, shipping rates change all the time. So by the time we get this book in hopefully late August, you know, maybe everything's more expensive. So like, that's a whole different weird stress yeah. that I don't get when I'm working on an image book. And certainly the easiest is working freelance, you know, work for hire. Um, there's a lot, especially now there's so much more pressure on the writer than the artist when you're doing work for hire. Um, people are going to complain, you know, 90% of the time because they don't like the writing, not because they don't like the art. So, um, so those jobs are, you know, can be very fun. Like um, I'm working on quantum and Woody right now for Valiant, which yeah. has been awesome. And like Chris Hastings scripts are really, really funny. And so I'm putting a lot of my heart and soul into something that I don't own. And it's the first time that I've really connected with something that I was working on that I didn't own. Um, and that's been great fun. But again, like super Wait a minute. stress. Popcorn thing, man. That's right. Charles and I did two pages of Swamp Thing in an annual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's where it all started. It's where it all started. Yeah. Uh, but it it's, was uh, so good. So it was, good. It was very People good. Talk to us about that, as they should. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's so like Kickstarter for me, number one with the bullet, like by far the stress. And it's it's you know, the highs are really high, and and the lows are are not necessarily low, but there it's there's the threat there, right? There's a lot. Uh, there's you know and I've I've destroyed my back filling kickstarters you know like just the the sheer weight and so everything that I design is based on weight like when I look at these projects when I think about what is the next project if it's going to be kickstarter I have to think about it in terms of weight how much is this book going to weigh that I make uh, because of how much it costs and how heavy it is and how much damage it can do to me having to carry it. So, <laughs> this book is going to kill me. It, I mean, or falling on you in your can garage. I beat someone to death with it. That's what I want to know. Those uh, those underneath it. Those God hates astronauts hardcovers. Um, it was the shipment was two tons. It was you know it was a little over four thousand pounds that showed up at my studio space, and when they got it. It was two giant pallets and they got on the pallet jack and they take it off the truck 
and then they're like, all right, we, we got a freight elevator in the studio. We're going to put on the freight elevator. We're going to go up to the studio and then slide it in and we're all set. They put it on the freight elevator and it's way too heavy and the freight elevator won't work. And <laughs> that's just it. And they're like, well, we're going to deliver it to the lobby of your studio and that's it. It's up to you. So, <laughs> so me and a studio mate of mine, we we moved over 4,000 pounds of books by ourselves up a flight of stairs. Uh, oh, no. To to get them who, all. Who was it? Who was the studio mate? Uh, it's a not a not a comics guy. It was a, a graphic design. Was it Dove? No, uh, uh-uh. it was my studio before that one. Oh, okay. But that was like uh, that, that would have broken little Dove in half, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is up there as one of the worst experiences of my life, on a project that is the one of the best moments of my career. So. <laughs> made so, you work for that moment. Yeah, so I don't know. Like I, I'm I'm at this point where uh like this is my sixth Kickstarter and they've all thankfully done very well and and you know after one day one or two people are just like why aren't you happier? Why aren't you more excited? I was like, man, I'm gonna celebrate once all those books are in the mail and then I will have a quite a party because but, <laughs> but the thing we did on this that I think that was your idea. Like I I like you know, so so I um I, I have an assistant, Tommy, who is amazing. Uh, and when we started talking about doing this Kickstarter, so Kickstarters have kind of have three phases, right? One is planning, then there's the Kickstarter itself, and then there's fulfillment. And um, fulfillment is is a big part of Kickstarters that people don't always think about and don't always plan for and don't always do. That's where Kickstarters can blow up and go wrong. Uh, and I was like, well, well, you know, as far as mailing. Oh, why don't we just like you know? I why don't have my assistant help, and he's great, and he'll get it done, and it'll be good. And Ryan's like, oh, I don't know. And I didn't know why it was hemming and hawing. Um, and and it was his idea, which was brilliant, to enlist the help of Challengers Comics and Conversation, which is a really really great shop based out of Chicago, um, who never heard are, of have sort of been Ryan's kind of for a long time. Never heard of and those guys. They... <laughs> what? No, they know them well. <laughs> We're kidding. Patrick and Dal are friends of ours. We used okay, to good, good, good. Well, as they should be, they're great. So, so basically, Challenger is going to be helping, and um, which is phenomenal uh, because they they get to get sort of a, a little, you know, they're part of, of, of the whole ecosystem of the Kickstarter, um, and they know how to deal with many packages coming in, coming out, and it's all it's all really smart. Um, but now that I know the volume, like I, I see what we've done. We've got, I mean, we're coming up on 1,100, 1100 backers on the Kickstarter. Uh, there are, you know, there are many, 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 many packages to be sent out. Like, like yeah. a thousand, at, at best, a thousand things have to be mailed. Yeah, like, and each, and each package is just about five pounds of this book. So yeah, that's 5,000 5, pounds that will be moved from my garage to Challenger's to usps to everybody which is amazing which it's 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 gonna it'll work it'll work and it'll be step 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 (laughs) step but it is crazy to think about and it would have it would have absolutely killed my poor assistant like this was this is not a job for tommy as amazing as he is it like it's just it's not yeah So, so good for you ryan we're sort of looking ahead realizing that i was being a little dumb on it but uh yeah i'm amazed <laughs> that there's not some sort of distributor out there that has gotten into this 
there are uh, offering. There are. There's tons of. There has to be, right? Yeah. Is it just too expensive? Of... It's not worth it. It's it's a lot more expensive, and you can't be very hands on. Um, which you know, like a big part of why I love Kickstarter is being able to sell directly to fans and provide something that they can only get, you know, from me or in this case from Charles and I. So, um, I want Thanks to for offer. That. All right. Well, you're not on the other Kickstarters, <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I wrote like introductions and stuff. You, yeah, you well, that's true. That is true. You yeah. Send me a copy. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you don't know, be so insecure, I, Charles. You you can you can get your shipment sent to these companies who will do fulfillment for you. Um, it is very expensive, um, and it is very like if I want to be sketching in copies, I'm going to have to split the shipment up and it would cost us more money. And, uh, that makes sense. You know, so I, I called Patrick and Dow and at challengers and I, you know, said like, Hey, you guys, you know, Dow has actually helped me on a, on a, uh, that got his astronauts hardcover Kickstarter. He did a lot of fulfillment for me, but, and like those guys are so meticulous that they love comics. They know how to package them. They know how to ship them. And, um, you know, we could give we could give this opportunity like to work with us to a large company that does fulfillment like Amazon. You can do it through Amazon. You can ship all your books to their warehouse, and they'll do it all for you. Um, and a lot of people do that. But you know, we thought you know, Challengers is always supportive of us, so let's give them some more work, especially in this time where you know, over the last couple of months they've had to turn into a mail order. Um, comic shop because you know they can't be open so we thought if we're gonna if we're gonna spend the money on having people fill it have it be some people that are friends some people that know comics that um you know could use extra work and um you know like i look forward to it i look forward to the amount of time that we get to like spend working together uh but again it's uh it probably would be easier to just ship it out to amazon and have amazon do the whole thing but uh, well, much, I wasn't I'm thinking though about the, the the personal touch because that is a big part of Kickstarter. A lot of times, you know, I don't know how it breaks down, but you have a lot of different orders that have different rewards and that kind of thing. So that makes yeah. a lot more sense. Um, do you guys find there's a difference in the audience between going back to my original question about the difference between uh, corporate comics and image and, and Kickstarter, do you find any difference in the audience? Because I don't know if like, I think a lot of times when we talk about image comics, most comic readers don't really understand the difference between what image is and say what Marvel is, you know, they, they don't quite get that, but do you find that there's any difference in the readers as far as their perspective of coming towards it? Is there, you know, I would imagine with Kickstarter, there's a difference, but I just wonder, do you have any perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been very fortunate to work with Marvel for a long time uh, and, and also with, with Image and create our own projects for a long time. And I think that the, you know, Marvel uh, does, does kind of one thing and they do it really, really well. Same with DC, they publish superhero comics. And um that is a very specific reader experience and 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 they're and they're doing it with characters that are extraordinarily well known that are in in their own way very very valuable icons of popular culture and so there's kind of it's there there are things you just can't do with them 
Um, there are stories you can't tell about Daredevil. There are stories you cannot tell about Batman. There are stories you cannot tell about Wonder Woman, whatever. Um, and, and so, and, and, and that's fine, right? That's great. Like there are incredible, incredible stories that have been told within the superhero milieu. I, I have, have loved being part of it. I will love continuing to be part of it for a long, long time. Uh, but I think there's an audience out there that, that is interested in, in themes that can't really be explored within the superhero comic. Uh, and, and that's where Image and, and other creator-owned publishers over, over the many, many years that creator-owned has been a thing or just in indie comics, really, um, that's where they come in. And because there's a lot of, there's a lot of audiences out there. There's a lot of readers out there who want all kinds of different things. I mean, honestly, the, the biggest readership in comics is, is like, you know, kids comics, like the Raina Telgemeier stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's really where the, the vast majority of comics readers are and superhero comics aren't really serving that audience very well. But in terms of the, basically the adult readers who are reading Marvel, DC and Image, it's kind of, you know, there's a point where I think some readers kind of get their fill of what superhero comics have to offer and they look for other things, other types of storytelling, other flavors of story. And that's what image serves. And it's, and there's obviously it's a Venn diagram. There's a lot of overlap. Um, but what I love about comics in general is that there is so much storytelling that's within that medium. Uh, there are stories for three-year-olds. There are stories for 80-year-olds. There are stories for people who only want superhero comics. There are stories for people who like Westerns. There are stories for people who like, you know, serial killer noir, like you name it, romance, uh, stories about tennis, like it's all there. And um, so, so Image and Marvel and DC are all about serving their own segment of that vast audience of people who just like stories, which is a... Uh, which is kind of a cool thing to be part of. Um, yeah, I would I would say like I haven't written like the only thing I've written for Marvel was a five page story about Daredevil the Bear without fear, uh, <laughs> which was awesome. which is one of my favorite things I've ever done. Uh, uh, but I, I mean, I would say just from an outside perspective, um, you know, with with no judgments as to which way is better. <laughs> you're writing for an existing character people have um you know like like you were saying earlier charles like people have a fan base already in place they have ideas about what they like about that character and if you don't do it or if you do do it um you know that affects how they they see your work versus doing something completely new and create our own um you know hopefully people aren't coming in with so so much of uh you know it's not as easy for people to get as frustrated with it because they don't expect something from it as much. I mean, they expect something from based on the creators, but um, I almost what kind of feel like there's maybe a, a, a higher level of loyalty for creators with you know, an image book or a Kickstarter than there would be on the big two, especially because that's ex yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Like, like if you're, if you want longevity as a creator, you have to develop loyalty to you. If you are a creator who is only focused on, well, you know, I'm going to tell a bunch of cool Green Lantern stories. Green Lantern is going to be around long after you're, you're dead and gone. And somebody else is going to be writing great Green Lantern stories after you're dead and gone. And unless you're like Frank Miller, you're not going to be making money off those stories for your entire career. So it is, it is about generating that loyalty to you, which I think Ryan has done an extraordinary job of. Um, because ultimately you want people to follow you from story to story to story. And, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it takes time. It takes, you have to deliver every time you have to deliver a very consistent experience and uh, it's not easy to do. Yeah. And I would, it, um, in terms of the audience difference between an image book and, uh, and Kickstarter is, so I did God Hates Astronauts as a self-published book and then I put it out through Kickstarter in a, in a hardcover book. And then image reprinted that in a soft cover, like volume one of God Hates Astronauts and let me do 10 new issues. Uh, to this day, the people that buy, who bought the initial Kickstarter hardcover, so many of them have no idea I did anything more. Oh. So many of them don't know that I didn't make, you know, made, you know, twice, three times as much content for image after they got that hardcover. Cause there are a lot of people that just, you know, they shop online they aren't people that would necessarily go into a comic shop. And yep. a lot of them are, are web comic readers and you see a lot of the big comic kickstarters are web comics that are turned to print into books into print yeah. editions right because people are used to getting their comics through the computer and then now they can buy them through the computer um and that jump just isn't there as much for comiXology for whatever reason because you would think like if someone only reads comics online and they read god hates astronauts and then they follow me on twitter or whatever and i'm saying every week here's the new pages that i'm working on the new issues out you think that they would jump to go to Comixology to buy it digitally, but it, it just it frequently doesn't happen. So usually with my Kickstarters, I will pack in levels where you can get volumes two and three, which weren't funded through Kickstarter, but mm -hmm. people only have my Kickstarter stuff, and so they didn't cross over to the image stuff. Um, so 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 there's a ton, but there's a ton of crossover. There's a lot of people that have backed my stuff that then buy my stuff at comic shops. Um, but there is definitely a segment of people that, that like Kickstarter, like being, feeling very connected to the funding of a project. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, there, there's a definite feeling that you're, that you are helping to make it happen. You know, right. you don't go in and buy the latest, you know, trade or, or issue of Amazing Spider-Man and go, wow, I really helped this become a thing into the world. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Usually because well, it's already a thing. Right. But yeah, yeah. But you are, you're helping you're helping the creative continue to go on and well, make the next thing what? and the next thing. If if you buy, I don't know, like a like a U two album, you're like, Oh, these guys really need me, you know, like I'm gonna bon know, Bonham can <laughs> finally get a sandwich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all part of we're all part of this endeavor together, you know, like but if you if you buy a record from like some little indie band that you're yeah. you know you know that they're not from know, their like, website you know not, right right you know, Amazon exactly exactly yeah. it's that it's that model and I I think um you know it it feels it feels phenomenal to think that like when we look at this curse words I mean Ryan and I text each other obviously we're like oh my god you see what just happened and it's it's a very exciting thing for us because it. Uh, we we you put a lot of energy into into comics like just day in and day out you make them and it's very challenging it's very it's it's like grueling isn't really the right word but it's definitely very labor intensive to make comics and and the way that you you kind of get that feedback in terms of appreciation of what you do is is reviews a little bit but it's mostly at cons and stuff like that and and this kickstarter has been a real like i don't know validation of this book and validation of the work and validation of the fact that we connected with an audience that loves what we do and wants to give us like literally put quite a bit of money down 
to support us. And it feels it just it's one of my favorite feelings that I've had in, in my entire comics career is this Kickstarter. It's great. Well, Charles, um, I, I had some other uh, specific questions. You're talking about small, little-known properties and independent books. So I obviously want to I want to talk about Star Wars. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> this little indie indie project, this indie film. Um, this is this is when I can go get a drink. Go grab go grab a drink, right? Um, so, um, and and I and I hope I phrase this the right way. You you've you've been writing comics for about a decade, right? Published. Yeah. You you're very sneaky creator in my collection of comics. As I started, you know, looking through the the list of your work, I was like, oh yeah, I read that. I really like that. Oh oh wow, he wrote that. It's um, I brought. Uh, I know Ryan. Obviously, I bought. Or I bought curse words because Ryan was doing art and Ryan's a friend of mine. Um, but I love the book and I'm looking around and it's like, oh, I loved Letter 44. That was great. Um, Tom, one of the first books, whenever we started doing the video show, was talking about how much he liked the Darth Vader books. And mm -hmm. I've started reading those and dude, they're awesome. Thanks very much. It's, and it, there's, Another part I was going to ask, how how big of a thrill is it for you to, for your stories to, to be like Star Wars canon now? It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Like I, you know, I, I think like many of us, arguably all of us, uh, you know, talking now and many people listening, like I, Star Wars has been a big part of my life since I was very little. And the, uh, it's it's without any question it's my number one sort of pop culture mythology that I care about like to me it's more than just stories you know it's 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 very it's very real it's been it really has been significant to me essentially forever as long as I've, I have memories so uh, when I started my first Star Wars project was was a Lando miniseries for Marvel a long time ago in five years ago I guess not that long ago but long enough ago feels like a long time ago and uh, my sense then was like, oh, you know, like, holy shit, I'm actually going to write a Star Wars story, contribute something to this mythology that I care about so much, especially when the entire canon had been rebooted, I think in 2014, when Disney bought it from George Lucas, which meant that the story I told was the story of, of the things I chose to say, and, and nothing else would ever tell those events in another way, until, in theory canon is rebooted again in 20 years or whatever it is like my version of of this chunk of lando calrissian's life was it like that was the story so mm -hmm. that felt i felt like i like you know you have these these you have these moments in your creative career when you're like well i have made it i have done something that i did not ever think i would and now that i have if if, it, if i got hit by a bus tomorrow i'd be great it'd be good I don't want to get hit by a bus tomorrow, but regardless. Uh, the, uh, my my son watched Empire Strikes Back for the first time tonight. Oh. How'd it go? And it's the anniversary. That's yeah, great. it's the anniversary. He's yeah. six. It was great. I bet it he, was. I bet it was. Um, he loved it. Yeah, well, anyone would. It's a hell of a film. Yeah. So, so anyway, so, so getting to tell any Star Wars story was spectacular. And then having things go well enough that I eventually was asked to write a Darth Vader story, picking up immediately after episode three, mm -hmm. like, you know, we all watched Revenge of the Sith and then that movie ended and you're like, 
God damn it. You know, like, why is this not continuing? Like, this is the moment we want to see what happens next. Like, everybody yeah. wanted to see what happens next. And they just, George Lucas just didn't do it. Um, and so to be, to sort of realize that I was going to get to do that uh, was was both a, a true holy shit moment and also a, like, oh, my God, if I fuck this up, like, I will never be forgiven, almost. Like, you, like Star Wars... <laughs> is wonderful, but the fandom can be, can be intense about its love for what they love, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, on balance is a very good thing. There is a level to it where sometimes it can be, it can land kind of hard on the creators if, if what you do doesn't click with the fandom in the way that- sure. and, 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 with, and with IPs, especially movie properties, which have been a lot mishandled a lot in the past, just through the history, of it for, for sure. whatever reasons um and then you look at a character like vader which is for a lot of people like completely fully formed in their mind as to what that character is and so yeah i mean it's it's a it's a it's a minefield because i mean you were basically charged with with writing the the not the origin story but like chapter two i guess you would call it and yeah. you know, i i never thought about the time in that in that character's history of you know when like stormtroopers wouldn't know who he was and that's that's kind of the the almost the funny part of that book is that he's walking around and people are like yeah who's this asshole and yeah. you know, he's not lord vader yet and and that's kind of your story is is him establishing himself as as lord vader and he kind of right. has prove himself in the empire and i was blown away dude it is so good well look i appreciate that and it's it's uh, it's just a, an extraordinary opportunity to to be given the reins of something you love to like i love star wars i love all the characters i love the whole thing and that mythology is very important to me and you know i i i still pinch myself at the idea that they give me the opportunities they do within that realm and um you know, I have a lot of other cool things happening. I'm writing, I'm writing, you know, like how, right now in the Star Wars book I'm doing, I'm writing the Star Wars flagship title for Marvel and it's set between Empire and Jedi. So it's basically the story of how Luke becomes kind of a, a dude who just got his hand cut off and, and was told that Vader was his father to becoming that dude in black who who walks up to Jabba's palace completely confident and, and just handles things. And so it's, it's a very... Um, like that's the story we've always wanted to see. I've always wanted to see that story, and I'm telling it. It's really, uh, you know, the vote of confidence to be able to to do those things is really. It just feels. Um, I don't know. It makes me like you know. I sleep well at night, feeling that I've, I've I'm contributing. I'm giving something back to something that's given me so much. Is really how I guess I would put it. I'm curious. Is there a higher level of editorial involved with uh, something like that as opposed to something like She-Hulk or Daredevil? Um, I, it's just a different level of editorial because everything that happens in a Star Wars book, like, is the one version of it. So, like, for instance, I told the story of how, um, like, Lando goes back to, to Cloud City after Empire Strikes Back to rescue Lobot, who is, is like a friend of his. Like, that's not just some random dude. Like, that's somebody who he used to go on heists with and all that stuff. So, so he goes, he goes back to Cloud City and rescues Lobot, uh, and he takes Leia and Luke with him and to get it done. And so, because they both have goals they want to achieve on Cloud City as well. So it's, 
you know, that is the way that story is told. And I talk about what happens to Luke's lightsaber a little bit after it falls down the pit in, in, in the fight with Vader and all that. And, and so now those are the things that are like, that is the way that story happens, period. Until somebody, you know, again, until somebody else buys Disney or whatever and reboots it all, that, that's it. So, so there is an, a level of oversight in terms of let's make sure whatever those huge moments are, they're told, they're told well and in a way that doesn't contradict other storytelling in Star Wars. Um, whereas if you're writing a She-Hulk story, if my take on a given set of events you know, like, like Spider-Man's origins or Batman's origins is another example. Like that's been told a million times, like the pearl necklace, Frank Miller invented that. And Batman, I believe debuted in 1939. So the like superhero continuity is different than Star Wars continuity, at least right now. You can fiddle around with stuff in superhero continuity. You can, you can fiddle with elements. You can update things. You can modernize things in a way that you cannot do in Star Wars. Like when an event happens, that is the only telling of it. So that's why Story Group exists, basically, to make sure that the the way that events are told is consistent with the Star Wars kind of feel and tone, and also does not contradict other things that have happened within the, the overarching tapestry. So it's, um, you know, as, as like they, Story Group doesn't interfere, but they definitely give you the, the sort of Guide rail. guide rail that you need to work with them, which I think is great. Like, it's great. I love it. Actually, there, I, I, you know, it gives me the parameters I need to do my best work. At Disney, is there like a keeper of the continuity? Is there, is there someone whose job it is to, to, to make sure that continuity is staying straight? Because, you There's know, a, now with, whole, you know, with like Mandalorian and, and all the like the Clone yeah, Wars yeah, and that, Rebels. That is the Lucasfilm story group. It's about a dozen people. Okay. whose job it is to do exactly what you just described. So they they have a 20,000-foot level view of everything that is happening in Star Wars from, you know, like they announced that Taika Waititi movie, whatever, like he's doing something for Star Wars. I have zero idea what that is, but they know what it is. They know the pitch that was approved. And so if I come in with the Star Wars, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this comic about, I don't know, whatever it would be, a, um, a hot air balloon race. And they're like, well, that's the entire plot of the Taika movie. They're not going to tell me that, though, but they'll be like, you can't do that because that that idea is engaged in other storytelling. Yeah, so more my, importantly, you like can't kill a character that's going to appear in another story for you know that which yeah. contradicts the you know creates a plot hole or or that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. And and I think that you know I wouldn't do that anyway. Like it's all like that that that's not how you do Star Wars you do like you don't kill off characters like I'm not going to kill Lando or like obviously I wouldn't because Lando's rest of Return of the Jedi but like you know you like those beats like I mean there, there's sort of there's a hierarchy of storytelling right like they the, the big stuff I don't know it's it's an ecosystem you were okay. thinking ecosystem right sure. for Star Wars and so wait, wait, Charles we're never going to see your Star Wars hot air balloon race Mm. <laughs> I mean, Lobot versus Bosk. You can't tease that and not do it. He said no. And and the thing that's tough about a hot air balloon race is that you're just kind of dependent on the wind. Like the wind just blows you. So it's not really much of a race. But I had I had a take that was going to dramatize it like you wouldn't believe. No, you mm -hmm. have to. You have things. You have ballast, and you throw it, and then that's, the balloon goes this way. The balloon no, it you down, but the wind. 
Yeah, you know, but both. You, so you kind of do that. You throw it out, have, and then it does. You have that. stormtroopers with big fans. And that's yeah, you, you start a balloon race with a hundred thousand stormtroopers on it, and you start throwing them off. off. Giant, giant <laughs> balloon in the shape of Jabba. Start throwing them off, and then you race. No, what what happens in in the story I pitched anyway is that the first balloon off off the gate wins because that's what happened in the hot air balloon race. Right? Not to race. The, the the really interesting stuff is the character studies of the people in the gondolas chatting. <laughs> like ben, the ben hydrogen tank controller and the, uh, the guys just down in the belly of the, the balloon. I don't know. I was going to find it in the writing. I was going to find it in the writing. It's just like, you know. Just, <laughs> you know it'll be Salacious Crumb versus uh, Ben Quadraneros in a hot air balloon race. Uh, from uh, Tatooine to uh, Alderaan, uh, and it takes place in the in the prequel verse, and kind of has to. Uh, I'll write it, and uh, Charles will draw it. And this is this is what I told this is what I told Story Group. I said, you know, I'm not interested in the race. I'm interested in the baskets, and and they. Um, <laughs> that's when they told me that it was being used elsewhere. I don't know. Like actually, now that I think about it. They might have just been really like nicely negging my pitch, being nice about it. But but to this day, I I'm not interested in the race. I'm interested in the baskets, and I think that's my philosophy as a writer in general. Wouldn't you say, Ryan Brown? I mean, you have made me draw a lot of baskets, and I have not drawn a race yet. Yep. Yet. Baskets. Woo. Um, I'm wondering, considering you're working on these, you know, high profile stories and characters like this and social media being the hive of scum and villainy that it is that's star wars that's a reference (laughs) is there any trepidation when you're working on this stuff is there any thought in your head about you know the fandom and and how toxic it can get at times with a property like star wars is that something that affects your writing at all or is it something you just keep out of your head i keep it out of my head I mean, the, the job is to write the stories, and I don't think about that really. Like, I, I, I mean, like I did Rise of Kylo Ren, which is a story about how how Ben Solo becomes Kylo Ren, how he turns to the dark side. And I, um, I, I would be disingenuous if I if I said that I was not aware of of the fan base's love for, for Ben Solo and, and hopes for him and all that stuff. Like I, I wrote it with all of that in mind, but at the same time, there are many beats where I was like, well, this is where the story has to go. And I'm going to write it. I kind of, you know, it is, this is this, this is this character story and I'm not going to change it um, because for whatever reaction I might get. And um, my general take on that sort of thing is I think readers and fans respond in, in, in large part, right? There's always going to be outliers, but in large part, readers and fans respond to an authentic character-based take more than they would ever respond to a, like, pandering fandom-based take. You know, like, if if there's honesty behind the choices you're making as a writer, you can feel it as a reader, and uh, I think that's the way to go. And certainly it's the way that I'll feel good about what I did later on, I mean, I don't want to be dragged over the coals. I don't want to be canceled, whatever. But, uh, you know, as long as I feel like I'm making choices that are true to the story that I'm telling, true to the characters that I'm writing, then if people are unhappy, I kind of, it, it rolls off my back a little bit. 
Well, you know, they, there's the realization that, you know, there's always going to be unhappy fans, especially in, in, in properties that, you know, have a, a 40, you know, year history that, you know, and a lot of people have this entitled sense of, of ownership with stuff like that. So, you know, do you, do you find, do you find, I, Star Wars fans in general, um, but I guess specifically the ones that read comic books, has the reception been good? Or have they been, have they, have, have they, have they, you know, been overwhelmingly positive or, you know, do you, do you hear much feedback? Uh, well, I'm very active on Twitter as is, as is uh, the Star Wars fandom. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know, basically, yes. You know, I, 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 I think if I didn't, if I wasn't doing work that worked, I wouldn't be doing work. Uh, and so there are people who obviously there's people who don't always love everything that you do, but, but I've been fortunate. Like, I think that my, for whatever reason, my view and my take on Star Wars in general seems to, seems to kind of work, which is, which is great. I don't want to overanalyze it. I don't want to like break it down too much, but I'm just happy to be where I am. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be working in that universe. It's something it's, you know, again, to this day, I just love it. Oh yeah. It's gotta be so much fun. It really is. It really is. Um, All right. I really uh, enjoyed your take on both She-Hulk and Daredevil. You know, the, you being a lawyer added something to that. Obviously those two being really the only lawyers in the Marvel universe that I'm aware of, but sure. was there, was there anything about that as like sort of going, I don't want to just be a writer who writes lawyer characters because there's, <laughs> there's only a few, <laughs> or was that something you really enjoyed with those characters being able to, to um, I, I, I enjoyed it because it was a way to, uh, to use a skill set that that I spent a lot of time and a lot of money getting and developing and, and so on. Like I practiced law for a very, very long time. Um, and I was the first lawyer to write She-Hulk or Daredevil. And I wanted to 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 sort of, you know, in theory, show what show what show what my expertise could do in that in with those characters and write write Daredevil the way a lawyer would behave in, in many ways. And Daredevil is you know, he, he's either a, I mean, he, as a vigilante, he's a terrible attorney, kind of. Like, you can't, you can't really do both of those jobs, no matter what you tell yourself. Um, but, so that was kind of the challenge for me, is finding a middle ground where Daredevil could be Daredevil, but also really try to write him as an ethical attorney who cared about his job as an attorney. Um, so, I don't know, I loved it. And I, and I think that my background as, as a practicing lawyer for a long, long time really informed that character. And the same with She-Hulk. I mean, she, in, in the series that I wrote, she had just opened her first, she had put out her shingle, which means she'd opened her first practice, her first shop, um, where she was practicing as a solo attorney. And uh, that was right around the time that I had done the same thing in my own practice. So I was able to use a lot of the... The things that the challenges that that faced me as a young attorney opening my own practice uh i, I that really informed that take and so i think readers can smell authenticity a mile away and i would like to think that my run on runs on daredevil and she hulk had that sort of i don't know scent of authenticity that sheen of authenticity that that made it feel like all right well this is giving us details and and a, and a feel that we don't get from these characters every other time necessarily 
um, that was my goal and it was, it was fun to do. And I, you know, I don't know that I need to write lawyers every time, but, but I like, uh, I like laws and government and systems and structure and infrastructure and all those things are appealing to me. So if I can put those things in stories, I'm going to do it. Cool. No, there, I think, I think it worked great. I mean, it was, uh, especially I'm a Daredevil fan forever and oh, cool. you know, nobody, I don't think anyone had ever really had that sort of expertise, obviously writing a character like that. And with Daredevil, it's always been a lot of, um, with him, how does he justify being a vigilante and being a Catholic? And, oh yeah, sure. So it was, it was really interesting to see that, that other perspective of it, that other side of it. Yeah, look, you you can't be a vigilante and a lawyer at the same time. You can't, like in the real world, absolutely not. No way. Um, but, you know, and it, you get, so so that was the challenge of it. Like, how do I make it work? How do I rationalize it in his head? How do I make it happen? Um, and it was fun. And I, you know, it, every Daredevil run, like Daredevil, man, God, that character has been written by so many brilliant, brilliant writers, you know, from, I mean, Stan Lee to, to Frank Miller to Bendis to like, God, like the, the list is endless. Um, and Chip, Chip Zdarsky's run right now is great too. And so you, 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 you don't want to be the person that people talk about as writing the bad daredevil run. Um, and uh, because it's in the same thing I did my first big, my first work for the big two was on Swamp Thing. And that's the exact same thing. It's, you know, it's Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and just Scott Snyder. And like, you know, all these people who, who developed that character in a really special way. Um, you don't want to be the one person that people are like, well, it was what a great run of writers. And then that guy, um, but it's, uh, I, I feel I'm very, very proud of my run on Daredevil and, and Swampy for that matter. Um, and so, uh, you know, just swing for the fences every time. That's kind of my philosophy on this stuff. Um, go ahead, Chris. I'm, I am, I am good. You're you want to talk about more Darth Vader because I'm still loving that book. <laughs> And Ryan's, yeah. and Ryan's like, ask me about Godhead's astronauts. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I like this because Ryan, it's, it's it's not like Charles and I have phone calls where we talk about this. You know, like I, I don't ask him about his Daredevil run. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I do that. But so yeah. it's fun. Like it's fun to see him talk about this. Um, you know, and like read interviews Charles does when it has nothing to do with something we're working on because it's a different person it's a um it's a different side of charles that i don't get to see very much and it's fun <laughs> so i was enjoying that i was i was following along at home yeah how oh, uh, hey, Ryan, how's your can i tell you something cool i just i just checked the number have you checked the number while i was doing all that bullshit i did about... yeah i checked it yeah holy shit we just passed ninety six thousand dollars, my friend nice. yeah congratulations i'm gonna need a bigger garage we're gonna need a bigger garage. Yeah. You 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 just barked out a number, and Ryan just immediately did the calculate the recalculation in grams. So, well, I mean, I will I will say that initial print run quotes. We are now looking at printing at least twice as many books as I thought we would. Wow. And so. Um, that's twice as much weight, yeah. but also I, I was going to ask by, by like percentage, do you do like a percentage overrun for like convention materials you know, to sell after Kickstarter? Usually, or do, you, you do, do it. 
usually you do that's uh that's where you um you know like really continue to like make money off of it um Here, here's and... some in, here's some inside baseball printing um uh talk oh, this which... is where i get a beer yeah uh, yeah sal's gone um so with, with printers and and you know this that especially for something that's being bound they're gonna they're gonna print a certain um, amount extra it's usually it's usually in between like three and three and seven percent mm. um in in overs depending on on how complex the the binding is you you get with even with kickstarter are you on the hook for buying overs um not with the printer i use okay i've heard i've heard from people that use other printers where they will do their overprint of you know five six seven percent and mm-hmm. then they will charge you for all those, even yes. if they're unsellable. Yeah, it's um, it's it's part it's part of the it's part of the printing industry. And I, whenever I was buying a lot of print, I always had an agreement with my printers. It's like it's like we'll 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 buy overs, but no more than three percent, uh, or sometimes two two and a half percent. But I didn't know if if you factored in overs, and that became your like convention. Um, no, stop. I mean, I think it's pretty crappy of a printer to give you a quote and then add on the paying for the, the overprint because well, here's, o- the real overprint, thing. overprint is expected, right? So it should be part of your quote to begin with, just yep. like they can calculate your shipping based on how much the weight is going to be of the package. Hey man, so, it's like it's like ordering tickets through Ticketmaster. They don't tell you what all the fees are going to be until until you get that. Uh, you know, until you have to hit the right, button, you know, right, not- yeah. So everything with like everything that with the Kickstarter, I try to run it uh, as honest and upfront with people as possible, mm-hmm. um, and I try to do as much of that math as possible so that you know we can make it worthwhile because it's a ton of work, and um, you know, if you if right now you know we sold, I don't know. Uh, just over a thousand copies of the book and um it's this weird system where if we sold a thousand copies of a single issue of an image comic um you know like there's a lot of different steps where money gets taken out by different people and it's we love the support stores but when you're doing a kickstarter like you're taking on a lot of the work that the store does. Um, and so then the number that you are making on it looks bigger, but you're doing a lot more work. So um, again, it's like trying to budget for all that. Like the reality of it is every book that we sell through this Kickstarter is more work, but it's work we wanted. It's work we're excited about. Um, we're happy that more people want to read the book. Um, but it's not just, you know, it's not just gravy, you know, we're not just, Charles and I aren't buying a couple boats after this. Um, but what we are is we're celebrating the fact <laughs> that we make this the, great the, book. The yacht payment hasn't right. been <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're excited because everyone's buying our book. Um, and, you know, we're in this not for money, we're in this to tell stories. Um, you know, otherwise we'd just be investment bankers or lawyers or something. Um, so, <laughs> so doing a Kickstarter, like, it is it is the just like doing a book through image um you know it's just we're we're in this because we want to tell the story and so seeing all these people that want to actually buy this book 
Um, a lot of them have read it before um, and they yeah. like it so much. They want it again. They want to have that version on the shelf. Um, they want to have, uh, you know, a permanent archival copy and then, you know, they can lend out their trades or whatever. Um, and that's like awesome. So, you know, I love knowing all the behind the scenes and knowing how everything works and where everyone's coming from and who all our backers are. And I see a lot of names on this Kickstarter that have backed my previous Kickstarters, but then I see a ton of names that I've never seen before. Uh, and then we're getting messages from people. I've never read curse words. I'm, this is, this is it. I'm going to jump on with the whole thing, great. which is great. Or people saying they want this amazing archive version. And so it's really fun to see all the different places that people are coming from and, the different readers that we're getting um, from the story. Well, you know, I think I think it's been really cool to see the the evolution of, of Kickstarter with with creator own comics and now, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever because of of COVID nineteen, we're seeing another evolution. Whenever we were talking, what? Yeah, there's a little think? bug. There's a little bug going out going around out there. Uh, Don't worry about it. We were talking to, to Jim Rugg about uh, it's Octobriana uh, 1976 is his Kickstarter. And he had every intention of, of, of printing this and, and then going through the regular distribution channels. And then the world went upside down. And so he decided to go to Kickstarter to get it produced and get it out there. But he still intends after the Kickstarter to sell it through comic shops and and into into bookstores mm -hmm. um do you see that i mean is that something that you guys are looking at do you see that as as kind of where kick another part of where kickstarter is is kind of being inclusive with comic book creators it's it's a way to get it off the ground and then you continue to sell it through regular distribution channels yeah i mean for in a in a perfect world where the book doesn't weigh so much um, we would overprint by a ton and have it personally from us in print for years. Mm -hmm. um, but with with this book being the way that it is, size and weight, um, the plan Charles and I have is we are going to reach out to stores independently of Kickstarter and say, you know, you've supported our book. We want you to still be involved in this. And, you know, here's, here's retailer cost if you'd like to carry it in your store. So we're still helping to support those stores. But after that, you know, I'm going to, we're going to make sure we overprint enough to, to equate for damages and stuff. But uh, yeah. after that, like, I can't, this, this book is just too heavy. You know, I just, you've got, you've got too much book <laughs> laying around already. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do. You know, because I overprint on everything, and then I over. Yeah, how many of those are you going to like fly out to San Diego? Right, you can't. Right, you can't because it's so whatever. expensive. Right, so in a way, that's why you send them all to Charles and have him. Charles's assistant. He's got an assistant. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but it's 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 nice in a way because it makes this very exclusive to this moment, right? And like this where you can get the curse words story through image comiXology you can read it you can you know the bonus story that we do we'll have i'll have on you know we'll both have on our web stores that will always be in print as a single issue but the hardcover kind of exists as like this 
this just really deluxe item that is super, super limited and you're only gonna get through this. So however many we sell over the 30 days, we're gonna put in a print run that will hit that plus, you know, couple hundred to equate for losses and damages and stuff. And and that's gonna be it. That's gonna okay. be it. And I've never done anything like that before because usually you never wanna go back to press because ordering books is like ordering movie theater popcorn and you know the small costs five bucks and the large costs 650 you know so like the price of the price of starting the printers and printing is enormous the setup the time the yeah it's 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 always cheaper to do an extra thousand copies than it is to stop and come back six months later adding an extra thousand copies could cost you I don't know, five thousand dollars. Dollars. If you, but if you, but if you do it later, and you have now to see start the project altogether, it might cost twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> hey Charles, I'm sure you've told this story a hundred times, um, but I'm curious because I don't know. Is is how did you go from being a lawyer to wanting or getting into writing comics? He met me. Ryan told me it to. changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> I ran him over with my motorcycle and he, he was going to sue me. And I said, you know what? Why don't we just make a book together instead? Ryan, Ryan killed a man. And... <laughs> named Charles. Name like, Charles you know, Soul, who was, who named Charles Soleil, who was Charles Soul's identical twin, like identical exact twin. double. Yeah. Exact, exact double. double. Exact double. And I said, Ryan, I can I can solve this problem for you. Uh, and so we went to court, and uh, it, it did not go as well as either one of us would have hoped. And so we I had to pivot and uh, away from <laughs> away from lawyering, and I went to the comics. It seemed like the best thing I could possibly have after being an attorney was being in comics. And uh, Ryan, uh, you know, from prison for the next several years. Uh, did God hates astronauts, and that's why we didn't start curse words for like a long time because he was in prison all that time. But eventually, but, but wait, Charles, was... do you do you remember that one time when the judge just wasn't getting it, and you're like, "Do I need to draw you a picture?" And then the judge said, "Go ahead," and then you did, and it was terrible. And the judge was like, "You should write comics instead of draw comics." And then you said, "That's a good idea." <laughs> remember that. Uh, yeah, the, the, look, let me put it this way. There's a lot of reasons why I'm not practicing law anymore. There's a lot of reasons. One was Ryan's five-year stint in the pokey. Another was that that moment he just described when the judge really laid down the law. Um, Another is lot- because you use the term pokey a lot. That, is, that might be a problem. Look, are, you, are you a lawyer? Are you an attorney? I don't think so. Yeah, there we go. All right, pokey. Anyway, so uh, yeah, um, it's probably for the best that I that I tell stupid stories about Wolverine now, as opposed to uh, trying to save people's lives with my legal acumen. But Keep regardless, okay. Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, the The point is, the Kickstarter is doing real well. We're going to be able to do our new comic together, and we're very excited about it. Um, okay, we'll do. Ryan, how to way to deflect. That's called like, the redirect. To piggyback on that, were you surprised when you left the, you know, the sort of uh, uh, horror show of, 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 you know, complete lack of morality in in law, and showed up 
in comics and found out it was even worse. It was just <laughs> <laughs> twice as bad. No, all right. This, this is ridiculous. Look, uh, the, an immigration attorney primarily in my practice. My job was to change people's lives, and I'd like to think that I did. Um, awesome. People wanted to be married. People were in love. They wanted to be together. I made that happen. People wanted to come to do their, you know, their job in the States. They wanted to give a better life to their families. I made that happen too. I mean, they, they had a part of it too, but, but mostly it was me. And, uh, you know, like it was, it was great. Um, I love being an attorney. I love being a writer. I've been very fortunate in my career to do a lot of things that are, have been meaningful to me. Um, but really what we're talking about is this Kickstarter and how well it's doing and um, how did it's you have to tell your did you have to tell Stay your clients that you couldn't you couldn't help them anymore because you were doing a swamp thing? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help you with your visa. I have a I swamp have thing. A swamp thing to pager. I mean you're just gonna the have swamp to stay isn't in Ecuador. Gonna think itself. You know, and you'll never you, see your family again. The, the, the thing there was really in the phrasing. Uh, I did not say I'm doing a swap thing, so I can't help you with your visa. But there was a point where, you know, clients would call and I'd be like, look, I'm sort like I can't, you know, we, we're going to find you a new lawyer. Um, and, and my. She Hulk ain't going to write herself. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, I sort of miss being a lawyer, but this is, this is a lot better. But anyway, what I'm most excited about, what I'm trying to get at is that the Kickstarter that Ryan Brown and I are doing is helping to support and fund the next project we're doing. And I wanted to ask Ryan if he's excited about it and had any words to say about what we're doing. The next thing that we haven't talked about very much in public. Oh, the new book? This is an exclusive. I mean, what are we, what are we going to actually say about the new book? It's through image. That's good. Is it a baseball uh, has, comedy book? No, it has eight issues. Okay. Uh, the number eight is very important to it. Prominent. Um, I don't know. 88 what do we... or just eight? What? 88 or eight. just eight? Just eight. Okay. Just eight. Um, right. It has a lot to do with um, Will Smith and his... Uh, in his triumphant uh, most recent Men in Black uh, Four, blue no. uh, blue roll, the when he did the blue did the blue Ryan, man when he's in stop. the blue man group. Ryan, quit it. Ryan, enough. What? Enough. Aladdin. <laughs> too much. Too much. Ah, fuck. Ryan. What? You guys are doing an eight issue Aladdin, Aladdin takeoff. Possibly, kind of. From wizards to uh, genies. Yeah. An asshole genie. Yeah, pretty much. Is that what we're looking pretty at? Much. Ryan, you son of a bitch. It's over. Kickstarter. Ryan, cancel the Kickstarter. You know, you and I still need is, to is sit it down be called, and figure like, out in the bottle? what genies are, really. we got to learn <laughs> about genies a lot. Ryan, no. We don't know anything about genies. No, this is not. The The next book is uh, is God Hates Astronauts. No, it's God Loves Astronauts. Where yeah. Ryan and I are, are flipping, the, flipping the switch. God loves astronauts now. Coming soon from Boom. Uh, <laughs> boom. Boom. Oh, I'm all just right, boom. guys. You heard it here first. That was quite the exclusive. 
Boom, boom triumphant return. You know, We're doing something for Image that features the number eight and genies. How about that? And it, okay, well, it's Image. So it's yep, an Image, image book. It's Image book. Is it so you're not going to start it on Kickstarter? It's going to go. You're going straight to the. No, image? we're 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 trying to raise money through this Kickstarter to then put back in our company to help pay for the production of this book. So you can eat and buy diapers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. Kirby still in diapers? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like time. I it hasn't been that long. Big time. Yeah. How's Simon? He's I haven't terrible. asked. Simon. Simon's terrible. He's terrible. still a little asshole. Yeah, he's real bad. Yeah, he's really bad. He's gotten uh, worse. Fucking cat. I know. Charles, I'm do you sorry. have any shitty pets? Ryan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Kickstarter's canceled. That's I've been trying to cancel this Kickstarter for five minutes. You can't. You can't. Uh. Our, our PR, we have talked about our PR plan for the next project, Ad Infinitum. And here you go, blowing it. You told me to tell them what we were working on, so they told them... I asked, are you excited? No, you didn't ask me that. You asked me to tell them. You said, go for it's it. A, it's a genie book set in the Old West. It's called The Magical Eight. Mm-hmm. Close. That's what I got That's... out of it so far. That's closer than uh, I think Charles feels comfortable about. Do I seem comfortable? I I hope I hope not. Very. I'm not. I'm very uncomfortable right now. You're not the first lawyer I've made Take nervous. <laughs> All right, well, guys, it's been it's been a lot of fun talking with you. So, real quick, um, it's uh, the complete curse words uh, at at Kickstarter. Actually, what the do you call the, the complete thing. collection? It's um, the, the whole damn whole thing. Damned thing. thing. Um, here, what I can do, I can reach. So here's the URL. Hold on, shut <laughs> up, Charles. Please, no, shut please, up. Shut up. Give us. Uh, so I, I will forward, also at this forward point. Forward slash. I think I think we very quickly I would like to give a shout out to uh, some of the other Kickstarters that are going right now because it's kind of a new uh, renaissance for Kickstarter, which is super exciting. Um, Jim Rhodes' book, of course, which Octobriana, nineteen seventy six. If you're not backing that, I don't know what you're doing. It looks so good. <laughs> uh, but then uh, then Cosmic Detectives. Which is super uh, Jeff Lemire and uh, Matt Kent and, and David Rubin doing the art. Who? David Rubin. I yes. love David. I was a big fan. Yeah, they, they did a book called Ether, which was phenomenal. Yes. Matt and David, it was really really good. Yeah, yeah that I'm, I'm rereading uh, Mind Management right now. It's spectacular. Oh, uh, so good. I mean, Matt Matt's awesome, and to put he and Jeff together is yeah. I I'm definitely. That's that's actually that's actually my job. I'm supposed to be reaching out to them to to talk about that. So. You should, yeah. No, we uh, yeah, they're great. They're great. It's they're cool really book. they're really great, and I'm so excited for that book. And I don't know, just anytime you see like a big creator going to a true, completely independent way of producing their work and reaching out to fans, and then seeing how the fans can like come come out and support, it's it's really really. I don't know. For me, it's very very exciting. And Kickstarter had a big like boom session 2013 14 and then it's been steady but usually for just board games and uh like tech stuff and now 
it's awesome in the last like few months uh to just see like big heavy hitting like comics kickstarters coming back and seeing people come out for it and i don't know it's very exciting so um just just back all three of them just do it just do it (laughs) i did i did and and we have uh 16 days left on curse words the whole damn thing it's 768 page hardcover omnibus it's everything that you guys have done um plus plus a previously unreleased story Yep. Yeah. Full, 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 full brand issue of curse words. The other, the other thing that I want to highlight on that, on that Kickstarter is that there is a, the highest reward tier at the highest possible level that Kickstarter will allow for a reward tier, a $10,000 level. It's a very special thing. Um, so as you may have heard on this podcast, Ryan and I went on a, a van tour during the book's run. We, we got a van, we decorated it with, curse words stuff and we drove all around the country visiting comic book shops it was like a band going on tour and so at the highest level of rewards for the kickstarter we will buy a van we will make it a curse words van we'll decorate it up make it amazing and we will drive it to you and give it to you uh why are you promoting this i don't want to do this (laughs) ryan you gotta get behind the book you're killing me you're killing me charles I'll do it with you. you. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go on a road trip. I could take a couple Absolutely. weeks. All right, Sal, you got it. So Ryan and I will will get in a van again, like old times. We'll get in a van and we'll drive to wherever you are. We hope you're not in Alaska, but if you are in Alaska, we'll drive there. Oh, so it's not even Continental Forty Eight. It's no, it's oh, yeah. Canada no, Charles didn't think about that. So <laughs> no, uh, David Harper, if you're out there, do not buy the van. You're yeah. the only person I, I know in, in Alaska. I think about it all. So Alaska, we'll even drive to Hawaii. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a hell of a van. So the point is, that's what you want to do. It's only $10,000 to get a uh, a well-loved van that <laughs> will have Ryan and me inside it when it comes to your house. And and, and really priceless. Really priceless. Um, $10,000 is really scratching the surface of the joy that that will give you. So Support the Kickstarter. Uh, I want to. Re- I really want to read the URL out again, but I'm just gonna say you can just Google Kickstarter curse words Ryan Brown or Charles Soule, and you'll find it. It's right there. It's in the notes of the video as well. You can you can just click on the. I'm gonna notes. I'm gonna read the URL. No, I guess I won't. Stop I really it. want. To. Stop it. <laughs> yep. And, You're in contempt. <laughs> um, and Ryan, uh, uh, is it still? Uh, possible to get blast furnace and the god hates astronauts stuff is that still in print and, and available yeah um the first three volumes of god hates astronauts are available through image mm-hmm. so wherever you buy image comics or digitally through comicsology um blast furnace and then some of the later self-published god hates astronauts stuff i have a web store at godhatesastronauts.com and uh, you can buy a lot of that stuff there, plus like weird, dumb things that I make on the side. Um, I'm, you know, I still love uh, making... making your own action figures. No, it's making action figures is awesome in terms of the product, but man, it's a ton of work for for those little guys. Um, but you know, I started making zines. I made new Blast Furnace Two zines. Nice. Um, so uh, you know, and or no, it's weird, like. My career, I started with zines, then self-publishing color comics, and then 
real comics, and then now I'm going back to zines. So, <laughs> Blast Furnace start as a 24-hour comic? No, but I used the the spirit of the 24-hour comic. <laughs> I knew that there was a connection there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and Charles, you've got you've got Star Wars going on. Anything else that you are writing these days? Yeah, uh, and so I'm writing a, an image series called Undiscovered Country with Scott Snyder, art by Giuseppe Camicoli, which oh, awesome. is great. Uh, it's about the United States closing its borders for 30 years, which hopefully won't actually be what happens. Um, and then an expedition goes in to see what it's become. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we, we've been on pause for the comics hiatus for the last few months, but the next issue comes out June 10th, which is very soon. We're excited about it. Great. So you had that. A- you had a novel uh, published at the end of last year called Anyone? I did. That's my second novel. The first is called The Oracle Year, so there's Anyone. Uh, my next novel is actually a Star Wars book called Light of the Jedi, which kicks off a big uh, initiative called The High Republic, set a few hundred years before The Phantom Menace, which is really exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a few other creator-owned books on the way, <coughs> including one with Ryan about things we will not talk about until the time is... Yeah, until the about time is... Magical Dreams. Western yeah. genies. Mm-hmm. Eight. It's about eight Western genies. Eight will steampunk from the live genies. action Aladdin. Yeah. Anyway, it's very exciting. I'm excited about that. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, lots of other stuff. I mean, I'm keeping very busy, despite how this is all supposed to be kind of a vacation time. It's not. I'm I'm in a grueling death <laughs> death race to to get my work done, but it's fine. Um, the uh, the other thing that I did want to mention about the Kickstarter is that there's also this sort of side project involved with it, which is a concept album for the for the series. Uh, as the stretch goals proceed, um, we've already got one song in. Uh, like I'm a, I'm a musician on top of everything else. Um, and a long, years ago, I wrote a theme song for Curse Roads called Mr. Magic Man, which now is going to be a digital download with every, every backer, which is great. But... Um, I don't really know why I decided to do this, but but if we hit 110,000 and then 120,000, we'll do an EP and then a concept album for the whole for the whole series. So it's like mm-hmm. 10 tunes and all that stuff. I'm gonna get Ryan to sing on it a little bit. It'll be great. No, nope. uh, so, I am so, not involved. In I this. play a mean guitar. Well, this, this is why you if want you're, to back you know, looking for Ryan Brown. To hear <laughs> Ryan Brown's dulcet tones. For, not for free, you'll have to pay money. But. I'll do a Shatner spoken word over one of the songs. Sure, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Anyway, so I, I, really, I really hope we hit that one because I, um, I, you know, I, I, writing has kind of taken over my my creative time in the last decade, really. So I, I don't do as much music as I used to do, and I would be thrilled to have an excuse to write a stupid concept album about a bunch of dumb wizards. So, <laughs> so pledge. Pledge now, pledge again, pledge often, pledge repeatedly, make new accounts to pledge as many times as you can, because we need this record. We need it. We need this record. Good thinking. The world needs it. The world needs this I record. I do. I do. Right now. We, we could use it. Yep. I mean, this is salvation, I think. This, I don't know. What album. the world needs now is record, sweet record. That's what I would say. No, I, I agree. And yeah. a four and a half pound book. <laughs> I thought it was five pounds. Uh, in the package, it's five pounds. Oh, gotcha. All right. Well, well, Ryan Brownie, Charles Soleil, <laughs> both you guys. Thank you so much. Wow. The the Sally e twins. Yeah, Sally twins. By the way, it's been a pleasure, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, go out, hit that Kickstarter. 
and uh, and definitely we'll be uh, be keeping an eye on on what you guys have coming up. When can we expect the new series uh, coming out from Image? Um, the the Western Wizards. Okay, so early next year. Spring. Spring twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Awesome, Sal. You have anything else? I think that's all I got. All right. Well, we've uh, exhausted. All right. All right. Well, we've got we've got another another episode coming up on Sunday. Uh, in the meantime, oh God, are we ending the show? I thought we were just getting rid of these guys. I had I. Oh, we're ending the show. Oh, all right. I better play the outro then. Hold on. Give me. Yeah. A, I gotta start playing the, the outro. Whole, they didn't tell me. Track. I didn't know. I was, I, you know, I was kind Neeson of. Neeson wants to get out of here. Yeah, it's been a long day, man. I was, I was up at five. I was in Chicago today. Good town. Well, I did. I just didn't know. I wasn't aware. I never know yeah. when to play the outro. See, there Charles, it used, whenever we used to record this all in person, the production was much, much tighter. You can ask Ryan. I in the meantime, in between time, <laughs> in between time. We'll be everywhere in comics. It's already at around comics. You missed it. Huh? You missed it. What? Comics. Give me no countdown. There was no there was no finger pointing. Nothing. I'm like four beers in. I, I got nothing. I was gonna say, I'm not I'm not taking the rap for this, Salazar. Alright, we good? Comics. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot guys. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it.